Do you know what it costs to see an individual patient? Welcome to the Business of Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Owen Dahl, a nationally recognized medical practice management consultant with over 24 years of experience in consulting and managing medical practices. He's also the author of the book, Think Business, Medical Practice Quality, Efficiency, and Profits. Mr. Dahl, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Well, I got your book yesterday, and I wish I got it about 10 years ago because I thoroughly loved it, and I'm going to go on and on through this interview how much it's going to become my my third testament or my new Bible. Well, thank you for the honor. I appreciate that. It's friggin' great. It really is. It's better <laughs> than any other book I've read, and it's. I don't want to minimize it, but it's similar to An Idiot's Guide to Running a Doctor's Practice because every chapter has just brilliant pearls. And so let's start with some of those pearls. Well, great. I appreciate that compliment, and I guess I accomplished my objective then. I think you did. I really do. I mean, every chapter has great stuff, and even the introduction is brilliant. So... Let's start with a simple question that a lot of doctors may or may not realize. Is their practice a business? Of course it is, and I agree with you that they don't recognize that it is, in fact, a business because in the past they've been successful at operating and functioning by being able to come in and see the patients and so on and really haven't expected or haven't thought through what the process is to actually be a business. And today's marketplace where we have declining reimbursements, increasing demand for the services and care that the doctors are providing for patients and so on, it's time that we take a look at it and call it a true business. I'm uncomfortable doing that because I went into medicine not to run a business, to provide care, to have relationships with my patients, and to not be thinking in the exam room, how much is this encounter costing? Well, you know, I can understand that, but there's one of the... But too bad. Sorry. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sorry, <true>. wake up. <laughs> And one of the management gurus in the whole world, a guy by the name of Peter Drucker, who mm -hmm. uh, has written profusely for years, indicates something that I think gets to your point, and that is you are a business, but in order to be a business, you must provide service to your customer. And you only focus on that. Once you focus on and are successful at providing quality service to your customer, i.e. a patient, what you actually do then is you have the bottom line follow. Yeah, one of your lines is that if you provide excellent care and do a great job, you'll have profit. That's exactly correct. So explain that to me, because if I'm spending what I call a quality practice is spending a lot of time with my patients and providing good care, how does that turn into a profit if I'm spending too much time with the patient? Well, the key there is too much time. What you want to do is be effective with the use of your time. And that could be then a better structure for you as you approach the patient. It could be that you need additional assistance from, say, your medical assistant or some other staff support to try to help you provide and have the information that's readily available for you so that when you're in the exam room, you can be as efficient as you can. Even going to the point, and this kind of bugs me a little bit, I'll see a doctor's office where you go into exam room one and it's laid out in a such a way, and then exam room two is laid out completely different. Right, so you're spending five minutes trying to find the surgery lube. Yeah, or a simple tongue depressor right? or something like that. And, and that's where I think if you stop and say, okay, I am a business, and to be a business, I have to be efficient in terms of meeting the needs of my patient. What can I do to become more efficient? All right, so we're in agreement that it is a business, and I am one of the major shareholders in my business. Either one or the only shareholder in a lot of cases as well. I've toyed with the idea, and let me run this by you, 
in trying to get my employees to buy into the ownership concept of actually issuing shares. You know, they may be real, they may be phony to every employee. And if the business does well every quarter, you'll get a bonus based on your salary and how many shares you own in the business. Is that a good idea, stupid idea? Is it communist? Well, I don't think it's communist at all. I think it's more capitalist in terms of the idea of suggesting that there are ways that you can economically incentivize your staff to do things. What you do, though, and the problem that that is, is how are you going to measure or what are you going to measure as your success points? In other words, is it the number of new patients seen in that, say, quarter? Is it the number of office visits that we had? Is it the profit? It's going to be profit. It's going to be what's left after all expenses and salaries have been paid. And that's not all bad, but what went into the profit was the efficiency issue and those kinds of things that are there. So what you do is create that kind of an environment for your staff and say, these are the things that you want to have. Now, in most states, there's a corporate practice of medicine or right. that uh, type of right. law that says that you cannot officially give them a share. Right. It's kind of a uh, pseudo-shareholder Right. But situation. you could say, okay, I'm going to give everybody 1% or 2% or 3% or something like that of the quote-unquote share of the business. If you've just joined us or tuned in, you're listening to The Business of Medicine on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Owen Dahl, author of Think Business, Medical Practice Quality, Efficiency, and Profits. Mr. Dahl, let's get back to the intro question, which was, what does it really cost to see an individual patient? Is there a simple equation that you can give us that we can figure out what that number is? Yes, there is, but let's back up for one second. Go ahead. And that is... Assuming, again, we are a business, why do we want to do that? Why do we want to know that? And I would challenge every physician to go to any business other than their practice and ask them that kind of question, and someone will know what it costs to produce the product or the service that you're providing. Right. In the book, you mentioned if you ask anyone at a manufacturing company what it costs to make their widget, they will know within tenths of a penny. Well, or some number like that. Right. in the practical scenario that I would suggest that you do as a physician or as a practice manager, whomever happens to be listening and hopefully grasping what we're talking about here, is to say, take a period of time, 2007. What were the total expenses that we had in 2007 and divide that number by the number of patient visits that you had in the office? Mm-hmm. That would be your basic uh, new patient, uh, office consults, or established visits. You divide those two numbers together, and you'll come up with a, say, $39.24. And that may or may not sound like a big number, but it's a number that will work to give you a concept of what your costs are, you know, in seeing a patient. Right. I would imagine it will be mind-opening and or mind-blowing to most of the doctors and the staff. It'll be mind opening, I hope, yeah. because then the goal is, is that we're now challenged to understand more of what really goes into those costs. Does it ever pay to educate the patient as to what it really costs to see a patient? Because the patient thinks, I'm charging them $100 for a visit that I, the doctor, am getting $100 for a 12-minute visit. Yes, I think it's a very good idea to be able to talk about this when a patient asks the question, would I be open about publishing my costs? Probably not, but if I understood it a little bit more and a patient asked me the question, I'd be able to deal with it. Now, on the other side of that coin, if you actually go to some of these websites that are related to these clinics that are now opening in pharmacies and in Walmart and so on, they actually publish the price. Mm -hmm. Well, they have a menu of what their services cost, but I don't think they're publishing what their profit is. 
No, but the cost, again, there's where we got to be careful because the cost is to the patient. It's not how much it costs to generate that service. Because when I ask a physician, and I've been blessed to be able to do a lot of public speaking, and so I have asked a number of physicians this question, how much does it cost you to see a patient? I get two answers. I don't know. One is, I don't know, absolutely. And and what does it matter? Well, the second answer is something like $55. Yeah. And then you ask, why is it $55? Well, that's because that's what I charge. And there's a real disconnect there in terms of what the revenue side is or what you might charge the patient versus what it actually costs you to provide that service. Well, I'm going to do that calculation as soon as I get back to the office, and I hope it's less than $39. (laughs) Well, let me throw in just another little kicker here, and that is how much do you cost as the provider for that service. Not are much. you part of that $39 or sure, are you not? I, I think I am. If we're doing total expenses, then my salary is included in that. And it should be. You mentioned earlier that standardization is key in the exam room. Everything should be in the same place. Doctors mm-hmm. should not be walking you know, up front to find something. You should be right there. You right. mentioned in your book a principle called the Pareto Principle. Can you talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit? The Pareto Principle suggests that 20% of our incidences that occur in any environment actually lead to 80% of our problems. So what I think we need to try to do is to try to tune into or focus on those 20% scenarios that we have. And if we're able to do that, we will be able to eliminate a number of problems that will eventually surface. Well, so by just identifying the problem, I mean, that's half of the battle. Well, actually, that is the biggest part of it, because in any kind of problem solving, in fact, as a physician, I'm sure that you're aware of this as well, that it's more difficult to define the problem that I present with as a patient. Once that problem is clearly defined, the alternatives to lead to the solution are much easier. Oh, and I have a a hypothetical situation I'd like you to address using your your, uh, consulting hat. If you have an employed physician that consistently runs an hour late, and let's say they double book and they arrive late, and as a result of that, patients are dissatisfied, the front office staff obviously is affected by that, the whole office is affected by it. How can you apply what you talk about in your book uh, as the Pareto principle to solving this particular behavioral problem? Well, that's uh, an interesting hypothetical situation, but it's it's also something that is very common. Uh, we find doctors running late quite often, and uh, in in principle, what I would try to suggest that we do is is get some statistics. Uh, doctors typically will react more to facts and figures and information that's more on a scientific rather than an artsy type of base, if I can use that uh, comparative. So. What I would want to do is try to gather information as to why this doctor's running late. Is it typically because they're doing hospital rounds or is it typical for some other scenario? Pareto basically suggests that what we're looking for is uh, our 80% of our problems come from 20% of our instances. So if, we, if we're able to identify one, two, or three reasons why the doctor's running late or what we can do to help the doctor understand why they're running late, what the effect is, in terms of statistics on the number of patients seen, the number of patients who may be requesting to see another doctor, number of patients who may uh, decide not to come back to the practice. Some statistic like that will be able to help us convince the physician that, in fact, this issue needs to be addressed 
it gets out of an emotional scenario, it gets more into a factual scenario, and with the ability to gather that data, then you can turn it around and say, okay, let's not take this whole global picture. Let's just look at one or two specific things that we can use to fix the problem and uh, work together with that doctor to try to fix the problem with that one step. Then you, you use this in a, in a continuous improvement process because uh, let's say it came out with two items out of ten that needed to be fixed. So you were looking at uh, those being the bigger issues. Well, you address it again in, say, three months, look at it and say, wow, uh, I, what I need to do is, is I need to uh, look at some new issues, and what we're doing is we're continuously improving based on only looking at one or two select items. Well, Owen Dahl, thank you so much for uh, answering my questions and for joining me today. Owen Dahl, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Well, you're welcome. I've enjoyed it, and hopefully this helps us because the whole goal of the business model that we talk about is to take care of our patients. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to The Business of Medicine. And if you'd like to comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, please visit us at ReachMD.com. If you register there with the promo code RADIO, we'll give you six months free of streaming ReachMD. You can listen to any time at home or at work. And thank you for listening.